Amen. Woo! Man, that was pretty awesome stuff right there. Okay, okay let's do this. Uh, hey, I, I want to begin by reading some powerful, God-breathed, alive, and active words. So I want to encourage you to lean in, uh, because these are not just merely words written on a page. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, some of you need to hear these verses this morning. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Galatians 6, 9. Oh, this is so good. Let us not become weary. Some of you are tired right now. I know it. Been there. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And James writes this, some more true words. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Heavenly Father, it is an honor and a privilege to come into your presence. And God, I pray that we're here for you. I pray that each person is here for you to to hear your word, to open up their hearts to your word, God. And I pray especially for those in this room who are tired, who are finding it hard to stand firm, who feels like everything in life is coming against them. Lord, I pray that the day they will overcome the lies of the enemy and be set free by your truth. And God, enable me to speak in a way that honors you first and foremost. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, this is it. This is our final week in our series, Flip the Script. And the basic premise of this series is the reality that your enemy, you know, the thief, the dragon, the serpent, Satan, the, the one who, who wants to steal, kill, and destroy the life that Jesus wants for you. The premise of the series is that every day your enemy is handing you a script to read. And his script is full of lies. Full of lies about who God is. Full of lies about who you are. And, and brothers and sisters, here's the deal. If that's the script that you keep reading from, day in and day out, it will begin to have a tremendous impact in your life. In fact, you'll begin to live by those lies. In your notes, um, the lies that you believe will begin to, it'll pop up there in just a second. The lies that you believe will begin to shape your attitudes, govern your emotions, determine your behaviors, impact your relationships, and ultimately decide your future. Because the lies you believe determine the story that you will live, even though they are not true. Get it? Good. And so let's, let's kind of just think this through with one of the lies that we've looked at in this series to see how this has played out. In week one, we talked about the lie that you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. And listen, if you believe that lie, like if you wake up every morning... And if you tell yourself that lie throughout the day that you do not have what it takes, that lie will begin to to shape your attitudes, right? I mean, you'll probably find yourself being defensive around other people and 
you'll find yourself critical of others because you're, you're trying to, to mask your own insecurities because you believe that you don't have what it takes. Now, this lie will also govern your emotions. I mean, you'll feel discouraged most of the times. In fact, you'll probably feel beaten down and defeated before you even begin the day because you believe that you don't have what it takes. This lie will also determine your behaviors. You see, instead of being passionate about your life, because if you believe that you have what it takes, you're going to be passionate about your life. But if you believe you do not have what it takes, you're much more likely to be passive, kind of floating, merely surviving through life. And this lie will also impact your relationships with other people. I mean, it makes you feel like, you believe this lie, it makes you feel like you don't have all that much to offer, so you will tend to just shut down and isolate yourself from other people because you just feel so insecure and inferior around them because you don't have what it takes. It will even affect your relationship with God. You won't feel like you're worthy enough to draw close to God, to connect to God. And in fact, you might even feel like God has abandoned you and put you in this impossible situation. I mean, why would God make you, create you so deficient and just kind of leave you there on your own? And bottom line, when we constantly read from this script that says you don't have what it takes, ultimately it just, it just decides your future. And your future is going to be marked with guilt because you don't have what it takes. It's going to be marked with shame. And your future is going to be marked with countless missed opportunities to impact and influence and to change the world because you don't believe you have what it takes. But what if you flip the script? What if you start reading from God's word instead? The truth that says, yeah, yeah you're right. I, I don't have what it takes, but in Jesus Christ, I do. Yeah, what if you really embrace and, and you begin to let scripture, right? You let scripture be your script cure, right? Yeah, I don't have what it takes, but in Jesus Christ, I am God's masterpiece. And he has created me in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for me to do. I mean, seriously, what if that's the script you start reading from when you wake up in the morning throughout the day? You wake up saying, you know, I have what it takes. I have what it takes because I'm God's masterpiece. And God has prepared good works for me to do this very day, and I can do those good works because God has prepared both those works, and he's prepared me for them. Yes, in Christ, I have what it takes. And listen, that's going to begin to shape your attitudes, right? You're going to be more optimistic and positive about your life and your future. It, it, it'll govern your emotions, and instead of being anxious and discouraged, you'll be positive because you know it doesn't all depend on you. It, it, it'll determine your behavior. And you'll start living with greater purpose and passion. And this truth will impact your relationship with other people. I mean, you'll be so much more connected and unguarded and engaged because you don't have to prove anything to them, right? You don't have to prove to them that you have what it takes because you already know that you do in Christ. And only this truth, it will decide your future. Because if you're reading from the script, in Christ I do have what it takes, in Christ I am God's workmanship, then you're going to take a different path than you would have otherwise. I understand if you really start believing this truth, you're going to take some risk. And you're going to start thinking, all right, God, good morning. God, good to see you. What do you have planned today? What do you want 
us to do together today, you'll start living with a much greater purpose. And so you see how this works, right? That what we believe, that the script that we read from, that the things that we tell ourselves, whether they are true or not true, impact our lives. Get it? Good. And so, so here's what I want us to do. Here's what we really need to take, need to take home from this, from this series. Understand, I, I so don't want you to miss this. Because I'm here to tell you that the lies and the scripts that he's handing you are not going to stop this week, right? They're going to keep coming at you and coming at you to the day you go home to be with the Lord. So I want you to consider some of the lies that maybe you believe, and I want you to run them through this, this filter. I want you to run these lies through this grid. Now, in the series, we talked about some general lies that are true to a lot of us at, at, at different times, but get a little more specific with it. And ask God to reveal some things that maybe you've believed for a long time and then start to run them through this grid, through this, through this filter and ask yourself, how has believing this lie, how has it impacted me? How has it impacted my emotions, my behaviors, my relationships? And how has believing this lie actually determined the course of my life? Again, because what we believe to be true, whether it's true or not, has tremendous impact over us. And so in this series, we're just, we've been talking about the lies that put us in bondage and the truth that sets us free. You know, Friday morning as I, I began hanging out with God, and I grabbed my pen and my journal and, 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 I, and I wrote out the f- five truths we've been talking about so far. And I got to tell you, reading from God's script when, when, I, when I started my day, it, it was pretty cool. It, it was pretty powerful. I mean, it, I could feel it begin to shape my attitude, govern my emotions, determine my behaviors, impact my relationships, and, and determine my future. And, and what are those truths? Number one, I have what it takes, right? I'm God's masterpiece, right? I really can make a difference because in Christ, I'm the light of the world, and light always pushes back darkness. I can't handle this on my own, and that's okay because I got friends to help me, and I got the Holy Spirit and Jesus to help me with my this, whatever my this happens to be. I don't deserve to be happy. I deserve to go to hell, but God loved me, so Jesus saved me, and that should make me very happy. And now I can pursue God's kind of happiness. Found not by pursuing pleasure, but by pursuing holiness. Found not by focusing on myself, but by dying to myself. Fueled not by having more, but by being grateful for what I do have. Based not on having perfect circumstances, but based on my relationship with God. Let's look at this on the screen right here. And let's, we're going to read these. Let's read the first three with passion, then we'll pause, all right? And, you know, if you don't do it right, we got to stay here. The, the shells will get cold, and I'll be in trouble. And if I'm in trouble, I take it out on my dog. And No, kidding. Uh, all right? On, on three. One, two, three. I have what it takes. I really can make a difference. I can't handle this on my own. That feels kind of good, right? Okay, now let's do this next one. I don't deserve to be happy. I deserve to go to hell. But God loved me. So Jesus saved me, and that makes me very happy, all right? I really can change. I really can change. Bring it, brother, right? 
And, and, and so this week, we're wrapping up the series by looking at one more lie, and it's a lie that all of us have lived by or, or are tempted to live by at some time in our life. One of his favorite lies. And it goes something like this. You, you should just really give up. You should just quit. You should just throw in the towel. Why are you even still trying? Just be done with it. Cash in your chips and go home. You know what? In some ways, every lie the enemy tells you has this very same motivation. You don't have what it takes, so you should just give up. You'll never be good enough, so you should just give up. God doesn't care about you, so you should just give up. You can't really make a difference, so you should just give up. You will never change, so you should just give up. You'll never experience God's kind of happiness, so you should just get up, give up and settle for the world's kind of happiness. Question, have you ever felt like giving up? You feel like giving up right now? I mean, have you ever felt like quitting, like throwing up your hands, tossing in the towel, and saying, I can't do this anymore? I quit. It's over. Give up. I mean, you're working on a project, a relationship, a ministry, a career. You're working on a life. And you've had just about all you can take. I mean, you're making little, if any, progress. You're spinning your wheels. You're getting nowhere. You're tired. You're worn out. You're weary. And you're frustrated. Come on, what's the point of even trying? I don't know about you, but I've been there. Done that. A time or two or three or four or six thousand seven hundred and forty-two. Times when I just wanted to quit. When I wanted to give up. What's the point? What's the point? I, I, I'm putting so much in and I'm getting so little out and nothing is even changing at all. I don't know about you, but maybe your enemy is telling you that lie right now. That you should give up. And you are this close to buying it. This close to believing it's true. Come on. You should just give up on that dream, on that hope. You should just give up on that relationship. You should just give up on that marriage. You should just give up on making that change in your life. You should just give up on that job. You should just give up on that ministry and service to the Lord. Whatever it is, you should just give up. And listen, the pages of Scripture are full of people who had so many reasons to give up. And I can guarantee you that the enemy was whispering in their ears, come on, why don't you give up? I mean, Noah, Noah has been hammering away, building an ark for 100 plus years. His hands are blistered. The ark isn't finished. It hasn't even rained yet, whatever that is. All he has is the stares and ridicule of his neighbors. Come on, Noah. You should just give up. Joseph uh, was tossed into a pit by his brother, sold into slavery, put into prison for a crime he didn't commit. This guy is always doing the right thing. And for 20 years, it doesn't work out. Come on, Joseph. You should just give up. Job. He loved God and served God faithfully for years. And then in a matter of days, he loses his great wealth. He loses his 10 children. He loses his health. What if, what if you lost those things this week? 
Come on, Job. You should just give up. Moses. I mean, he's once part of a royal family. Next thing you know, he's tending sheep in the wilderness. Next thing you know, he's 100 plus years old, leading a million rebellious and stiff-necked people for 40 years in the desert. Come on, Moses. You should just give up. David, he, 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 won a, he won a great battle for God over Goliath. He defeated the Philistines. He served the king and God faithfully, yet Saul is trying to kill him. Come on, David, you should just give up. Jeremiah got called to be a prophet for God in a very hard time. And God gave him a message that nobody wanted to hear. For 40 years, not only did the people not listen, but they persecuted and abused him. Come on, Jeremiah. You should just give up. And there's a guy in the New Testament, I think, that had maybe more reasons to give up than anybody else in the New Testament. His name is Paul. And believe me when I tell you, this guy endured some extremely difficult, blow-your-mind, hard stuff. And here's just a sample from his own hand from 2 Corinthians. And as I read this, would you, would you take him off the flannel board, right? Because flannel board figures don't get hurt right? They just fade, <laughs> right? Can you take him off the pages of your Bible? This is a real guy. If you cut him, he bled. If he hit him, he bruised and things broke. If you betrayed and slandered him, it hurt, all right? It's a real guy. He writes this, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Come on, Paul. Why don't you just give up? And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we were pressed on every side by troubles. You ever been there? We're not crushed. We're perplexed but not driven to despair. We're hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Troubles, crushed, perplexed, hunted down, suffering, danger, death. Come on, Paul. Why don't you just give up? 2 Corinthians 6. And everything we do, we, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We've been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Come on, Paul. You should just give up. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gives us this huge list of all the stuff he endured. And he's not making this list to brag. It's just because a, a bunch of boneheads came into church in Corinth and they're saying, hey, Paul's not really apostle. Don't listen to Paul's teachings. You see, they didn't come to church to serve and worship God. They just came to church to, work, to cause trouble. And, and Paul says this, are they servants of Christ? I know I'm out of my mind to talk like this, but I have served him far more. I've worked harder, been in prison more often, been whipped Times without number and face death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. 
I've labored and toiled and gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. Is this guy nuts? I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak. Who is led in sin and I do not inwardly burn. I mean, could you, could you imagine enduring all that for Christ in his church? I don't know about you, I'm humbled by that, right? I feel like a whiner, right? Things I whine about, what this guy went through because he loved Jesus. I mean, do I even understand what sacrifice is? You know, I mean, I don't feel worthy to untie his sandals. Many reasons. Come on, Paul, why don't you just quit? But he didn't. He didn't quit, right? He didn't. I mean, check this out. He, he's in prison, right, in Rome. And, and he knows that pretty soon he's going to hear some soldiers walking down the hallway. He's going, to, he's going to see his cell door open, and soldiers are going to lead him to the edge of a sword, and that his head is going to be taken off. And so he writes these words to Timothy, 2 Timothy, the last letter Paul wrote. He says this, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. In other words, I did not just give up. Did it. Didn't quit. Didn't throw in the towel. How did he do it? How did he endure all that and and remain faithful? You know, I, I thought about that. The last several weeks, as we've been reading through 2 Corinthians in our Bible reading program, and I, I came up with at least four things that enabled Paul to, to not give up. And, and, and you know what? Those are the very same four things that will keep you and I from giving up. Listen, you should just give up is a lie. Turn to the person to your right and left, look him in the eye, and tell them, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. And, and understand, Paul did not give up, and neither should we as Jesus followers, because Paul had a purpose to live for. I, I like what Rick Warren wrote in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Nothing matters more than knowing God's purposes for your life, and nothing can compensate for not knowing them. Not success, wealth, fame, or pleasure. Without a purpose, life is motion. Without meaning, activity. Without direction, and events. Without reason, without a purpose, life is trivial, petty, and pointless. We are made to have meaning. This is why people try dubious methods like astrology or psychics to discover it. When life has meaning, you can bear almost anything. Without meaning, nothing is bearable. Paul's life had a lot of meaning, and Paul was able to bear a lot of things, right? Because he had a great purpose to live for. I mean, you read his letters, the 13 he wrote, you see his purposes everywhere. Just one verse right here, one passage. Yes, we live in constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we face, so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with him. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. And by that he means more and more people being saved by God's grace. 
God receiving more and more glory, more and more people having eternal life and, and having a perfect forever. And Paul says, that's why. He says, you wanna know why we don't give up? That's why, because people, people are getting saved and, and God is, is getting glory. And, and he says, and my spirit is being renewed every day. By what? By this purpose. Come on, Paul, you should give up. Paul would say, are you kidding me? No way. Not now. Not ever. Not when God's glory and the salvation of men and women is at stake. And brothers and sisters, we have the very same purpose for our lives. Paul writes, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. All this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. This is so good. No longer counting people's sins against them. Aren't you glad? I'm in a room full of sinners, right? Aren't you glad? And I'm one of them. Aren't you glad? And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Brothers and sisters, I, I stand before you today, October 22nd, 2017, and based on the authority of God, I tell you that as a Jesus follower, you have a great purpose to live for, to know God, to bring him pleasure and glory, to become like Jesus and reflect Jesus to the world, to do the good things that God prepared for you to do in advance, and, and to to help people come under the grace of God, to experience fullness of life, and to have everlasting life. I should just give up? Are you kidding me? No way. Paul didn't give up, and neither should we, because Paul had a purpose to live for. Can you think of a greater purpose than God's glory and people going to heaven? And because he had a, a hope to, to anchor to. He had a hope to anchor to. Just a few verses from Paul's pen about this hope. He says this, God saved us from these dangers of death, and he will continue to save us. We have put our hope in him, and he will save us again. Don't you like it? Hey, he saved us once, and guess what? I, I know, I don't know when, he'll save us again, right? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our present troubles are small. Paul, did you read what you wrote? <laughs> It won't last very long, yet they produce a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Oh my goodness, if this stuff is true, it's like, it's like good news, right? And back to 2 Timothy which I read earlier, where Paul says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. Imagine that. I fought the good fight. I, I finished the race, and I've remained faithful. And now, the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who look eagerly forward to his appearing. Come on, Paul. You should just give up. He's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I, I put my, my hope in God, and I know that my God will save me. 
And, and I'm, I'm living for a glory that far outweighs any trouble that I could ever have. And, and now there's a prize. There's a prize waiting for me. That will last forever. Give up? Are you kidding me? I like what the Hebrew writer says about this hope. This hope, and the Greek word hope means favorable and confident expectation. And this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls, right? We anchor our souls to it. Peter writes, praise be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he's giving us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, the next time the enemy hands you a script and says, hey, why don't you just give up? Just say, are you kidding me? Not when I know I got this prize waiting for me. Not when I know that my God will save me. Not, not when I know that Jesus is preparing this awesome and amazing home for me. Not when I know that one day I will live in this perfect world with no more death, disease, sorrow, pain, tears, you name it. If it gets you down, if it beats you down, it's no more. Give up. Why would I give up when I know where I'm going? Amen? And next, Paul didn't give it up, give up, neither should we, because he had a faithful and mighty God to trust in. And Paul's in prison, like I said. He's writing to Timothy some of his final words. He, he knows pretty soon, you know, he's not going to be wearing his head much longer. And he says this to Timothy. And I know whom I have believed. And I'm convinced that he is able. Say, he's able. He's able. Paul says, I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I've entrusted my life. I entrusted my soul. I've entrusted my hopes and my dreams. I've entrusted that to him, and I'm convinced that he is able because he's so powerful to guard what I've entrusted to him. He said in 1 Thessalonians, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. And not only is our God completely faithful and trustworthy, he's dependable, he's also all-powerful. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20, Now to him who is able, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, are you imagining? According to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. You know, Jeremiah, who probably had reasons to want to quit, you know what he said in Jeremiah 32, verse 17? He prayed to God, oh, oh, sovereign, oh, sovereign Lord, you make the heavens and the earth by your strong and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Understand, when your enemy tells you that you should just give up, just tell him, are you kidding me? Give up. And not when I serve a God who's completely trustworthy and dependable. Not, not when I serve a God for whom all things are possible. Not, not when I serve a God who is sovereign and who's made heaven and earth, who can restore anything, who can recover anything, who can do anything, who can overcome anything. 
Listen, with a God like that in our corner, right? Why would we ever give up? No, I'm not giving up. Because God is for me. And ain't a dang gum thing, right? Can be against me. And finally, Paul didn't give up because he had a body to be a part of. Did you know that when Paul first got to Corinth, I think he wanted to quit. I think he did. Because of what we read in Acts chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, which kind of implies what? <laughs> he was afraid. It was a wicked city, right? Keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I'm with you, and no one's going to attack and harm you, and because what? I have many people in this city. In other words, Paul, I'm with you, and Paul, you are not alone. You think you're alone, and, and that's why you want to quit. You think it's just you, but, hey, but I'm there, but even better than that, because sometimes we don't just need God, we need people with flesh on, right, <laughs> that we can see, touch, and poke, right? You're not alone, Paul. You're part of my body. You're part of the church, and Paul loved the body. He loved the fact that he wasn't alone. He pretty much never was. He never traveled alone. He was really never in prison alone. If you read his letters, he, he lists over 100 people by name that he knew and had a relationship with. You see, Paul knew the value, the importance, and the power of being part of the body. He says this in Romans 12, 4 and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. See? My finger can scratch my, scratch my ear, right? You know? Each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we what? We all belong to each other, right? Ephesians 4.16. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. I understand, whenever the enemy told Paul, Paul, why don't you just quit? He said, are you kidding me? Like, seriously? You wicked ponytail dude, if you have a ponytail. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? And not when I have such a great purpose to live for. And not when I have this incredible hope to anchor my life to. Not when I have a faithful and mighty God to trust in. And not when I have a body to be a part of. A body that, that needs me. A body that is counting on me. A body that depends on me. A body that has fought with me and fought beside me. A body that's been there for me. A body that believes in me. Not when I'm part of a body that's the light of the world that's pushing back the darkness and storming the gates of hell. Uh, just one more passage about not giving up and, and, and we'll be done. It's uh, Hebrews 12. Hebrew writer says this, therefore, and if you know this, but Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews chapter 11, right? It's crazy how that works. A little math there for you. And, and, and and 11 has all the faithful, right? Hall of faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, like Noah and Joseph and Moses and Job and David and Jeremiah, men and women who did not give up. 
They're in this, it's like we're in this huge stadium, right? And we're running around the track. And in the stadium are these people who, yeah, they went through hard times and it was difficult and they wanted to quit, but they didn't quit. And now they're in the stands, they received their prize and they see you struggling and they're cheering you on. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. What's slowing you down? Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with perseverance the race that God has set out for us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because the joy awaiting him, you and I going home to God. He endured the cross, disregarded its shame, and now we see it in the place of honor beside God's throne. He had a lot of reason for giving up too, didn't he? Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. And you know, I, I think God brought some of you here this morning. And the good thing about what I get to do, I, I get to preach myself every week. And I needed to flip the script on every one of these stinking lies. This one as well. And I think God brought some of you here this morning so that you could flip the script on this lie straight from the depths of hell that you should just give up. Yeah, I know it's hard. And I, I know you're probably tired and weary and worn out and, and frustrated. I know it, it looks like the walls that you keep walking around never will come down. It seems like the sea will never part. But brothers and sisters, never, never, never give up. Not when you have such a great purpose to live for. and Not when you have such a great hope to anchor to. Not when you have such a faithful, mighty God to trust in. Not when you have such an incredible body to be a part of. Not when the prize of heaven is waiting for you. Father God, we thank you that we can come into your house. And God, I thank you for truth that sets us free from the bondage and lies of the enemy. And Father, I pray for those in this room who, like me, at times, want to give up, want to throw in the towel. And God, I pray that we'll fix our eyes on the author and perfect of our faith, who for the joy set before him. And we have so much joy set before us. God, may we not give up. May we press on. In Jesus' name, amen.